tonight I'm starting a, I think it's, it's going to be an exciting sermon series on the Ten Commandments. Really, the, the study of the Ten Commandments, you know, when we look at what is law and all of these different aspects, sometimes we say because we've given our life to the Lord, what's the big deal about the Ten Commandments? But what I want to show you tonight and over the next, I don't know, next week and the week after on Wednesdays, I'll be up here discussing that, then other people will get up, and then so it'll, it'll last for a little while, but I want to encourage you to try not to miss the services in this aspect because I believe it'll paint a, a big picture of everything that God said in the Old Testament, and we'll see how it applies as well to our daily life and living, as well as to the people that are around us in this world. Amen? So we'll be talking about the Ten Commandments, and, and the, the title is A Study of Lawful Grace. Now, when you look at the word lawful, this is going to be more of a Bible study. How many of you like the Word of God? Let me see your hands. Because I, I just want to know. All right. Listen, the Word of God is where you build your life on. If you don't like the Word of God, you won't like hearing me. <laughs> so I just want to encourage you. So once again, let's get back to it. Lawful. Being lawful is, is walking in the harmony with law, being law-abiding, allowed or permitted by law, recognized or sanctioned by law, appointed or recognized by law, or acting or living according to the law. How many of you can keep the Ten Commandments 100% of the time? Let me see your hands. Thank you. That's, that, I was afraid that wouldn't go so well. But here's what grace means. According to the definition, it's unmerited divine favor, assistance given to humans for their regeneration and sanctification. A state of sanctification enjoyed through divine assistance, approval, mercy, pardon, reprieve. Now, this series is coming out of a very important verse. Remember, Jesus was, was living out the New Testament in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he was asked by the rich young ruler, he said, Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself, and the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these commandments. Now, we look at what Jesus said. He's basically laying out the Ten Commandments in a set of Five. In other words, the first five deal with God and our relationship with God. And the second five or the second tablet, I guess you could say, deals with our in interaction with man. So he's summing up these two commandments, but I want to unveil them as we talk about this, how they apply to our daily life and living. And I want to give us three practical ways, and I want to lay some groundwork on those ways, but I also want us to remember four words at the end of the message, as well as some questions that you can ask yourself on a daily basis to see how you can live out the first commandment. Now, you need to understand from the beginning that no one can keep these commandments 100% of the time. No one has ever been able to keep these commandments except for one, and his name is Jesus. So the point of the Ten Commandments was to point us to a law that we could not keep, to point us to the person that could keep them. 
When somebody stands before God aside from Christ, they will answer for every one of those things and they will be condemned. But Christ has paid that penalty for us and by keeping, by keeping the commandments and our faith in him, we go from lawbreakers to law keepers. It's one of the greatest news you will ever hear. Galatians 3.24 says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. And we also need to understand that we do strive to live these out, but it's not as a slave, but out of relationship. And I will show you some verses that echo this very sentiment. In John 14.15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. True faith in Christ produces works. It's not the other way around. You cannot keep these Ten Commandments apart from Christ anyway. And even if you tried and you made that your bullseye, you would fail daily. That's the beauty of Christ. First John 5, 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ and becomes a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. You can see the first commandments here, the, the, the two tablets of the law. We know that, you know that we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. Now I want you to see something here. I'm going to show you a, a picture, and there's a lot of verses, but I want to show you a picture. I want you, we're going to look in Exodus 20, and I'm going to read something to you. This is right before they, they begin to discuss the Ten Commandments. Verse 2, I am the Lord your God who bought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So you see that this was done, right? So this is relationship. He's saying, I brought you out. Now, this was under the, under what would be considered the law. Under the Old Testament, you have relationship done. Now look what it says. You shall have no other gods before me. Do. So you see, it's relationship, then it's do this. It's not, if I'm going to, if you obey, then I'll let you out of slavery. That's not the issue with God. We know this because he delivers them from Egypt and then he gives them the commandments. He didn't say once again, now if you obey, I'll let you out. I want you to, I want you to hear that. That's relationship, then obedience. Now look at this epistle picture. I want to show you this. The first half of Romans, Ephesians, and 1 Peter tells us what God has done. And look at the second half. It tells us what we should do. So look how much, how much verses are there, especially in Romans, because it's really known as the Magna Carta of our faith. Look how much he has done and look at what we do. Everything that we do comes out of what he's already done. Amen? Now, as you look in the book of Exodus, you will see that Moses was a murderer. And yet God initiates a relationship with this murderer. In the Old Testament, he is considered the lawgiver, and Christ in the New Testament is the law keeper. The Jewish people, listen, I'm going to give you a, a big introduction but we're going to, as we start to unveil these other commandments later down, it won't have as much of an introduction because I really want to press the point home on why it's so important to understand these commandments. There is a healthy balance to knowing these. Listen, people can get to a place where they think, oh, it's law 
and, and totally shut you off. And at the same time, people can be so saved that they, they say, well, you know what? I have a license to, to do whatever I want, and I'm just going to camp out in grace. But the law gives us the picture. When you read the Old Testament, you see a lot of like, man, I can't believe God did that. Why did he do this? He seems so harsh. He, sees, he seems so mean that he wipes people out and does all these different things. But the issue is to show you how God interacts with sinfulness to give us the picture of the beauty of Christ. That is the point. Think about it logically. Out of everything that God wanted to tell Moses, he tells him 10 things. Out of everything he wants the civilization of that day to know, he tells them 10 things. Here's what you need to understand about the 10 commandments. It is the moral compass of the soul and the conscious that automatically aligns true north when we see these issues come up. I want to say it again. The moral compass of the soul and the conscious automatically aligns true north when we see these issues come up. In other words, you don't have to be told it's not okay. I mean, that it, it's, it's bad to murder someone. You just know it's bad. I read a survey that only 14% of Americans could name the 10. Do you realize that more people can name the six Brady kids than they can name the Ten Commandments? Now listen, I don't want you also to get hung up on the word commandments. The word commandment is not used in the Old Testament. This is the, this is the way it's translated. It's called the Decalogue, which means ten words. When we look at commandments, we think stuffy rules, and that is not the case. It is not stuffy rules. It's a picture that of what God is trying to show us, how you interact with him and how we interact with our neighbor. In 2014, they got a group of atheists together, and they wanted to offer a, a, a different version of the commandments. And to sweeten the pot, they offered $10,000. The contest drew more than 2008 2,800 submissions from 18 countries and 27 U.S. states. There were 13 judges selected from 10, 10 or more serious submissions, and they announced the winner. You want to know what the 10 non-commandments are? Of course you do. Be open-minded and be willing to alter your beliefs to new evidence. Number two, strive to understand what is most likely to be true, not to believe what you wish to be true. Number three, the scientific method is the most reliable way of understanding the natural world. Number four, every person has the right to control their own body. Number five, God is not necessary to be a good person or to live a full and meaningful life. Number six, be mindful of the consequences of all your actions and recognize that you must take responsibility for them. That was a good one. I like that one. <laughs> Number seven, treat others as you want them to treat you and can reasonably expect them to want to be treated. Think about their perspective. I like that one as well. Number eight, we have the responsibility to consider others, including future generations. Number nine, there is no right way to live. And number 10, leave the world a better place than you found it. Those, the last ones especially sound very noble. But listen, this is a hodgepodge of a lawless mindset. And here's the point behind what I want to tell you. 
to come up with a consensus of what is right is to oppose the one who's, who says what is right. It's to form your own mentality of what is considered moral. Blaringly obvious would be number nine and ten. If there's no right way to live, who can determine what constitutes leaving a better world in the future? Number two falls flat because in the mindset today, there is no absolute truth. It's all subjective. But this is what we need to understand tonight. Truth is divine. It comes from God alone, and truth does not come from a consensus. We need to understand that in today's culture and in today's world. Listen, truth is the self-revelation of God's own being. It's the self-disclosure of the nature, will, in the mind of God. If you want to know what God thinks, if you want to know what he says, if you want to know how he feels, it's in his word. Truth is divine. It's absolute. It's singular. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is unchangeable. Truth is immutable, which means it does not change. It comes from a God who does not change, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Psalms 119 says, your word is firmly fixed in heaven. Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but his word stands forever. God's truth is authoritative, which means nothing can rise above God's truth. And any opinion that tries to go above God's truth is crushed like a granite block crushing a soap sud. I want you to understand, we are not smarter than God. We are not more righteous than God. So I want a truth to come from one realm to this realm. I want truth to be told to me from someone who knows above and beyond what we could think or ask what our opinion is. Amen? What you believe will chart the way you live out truth. It's your relationship to the truth. So that means that it is determinative. That means you, you see what, what, what it is that, what the truth says and you line your life up with the truth and you will be blessed. Look at four, having control of your own body. Now I thought about this one. By this standard, if you want to take drugs, you can take drugs and everything would be fine, but you know that you would be arrested for possession of drugs, amen? And technically, if you want to use your own body to murder someone, they would be coming against your right because you're choosing to do what you want to do with your own body. Number seven, if I think it's okay to be abused because I feel like it's character building, then I could go abuse someone else and I would be right in my beliefs. Now, obviously, these things are ridiculous, but it's it's par for the course in the ways we now live. Now, in the ever-changing world, are these commandments still relevant to us? Is it just Old Testament? The New Testament quotes these commandments as well. The Jewish people added 613 laws on top of the 10. Now, like I said earlier, we today really do not pay attention to the Ten Commandments. That's the the message that I want us to see. I want us as a church to learn the Ten Commandments, right? 
How many of you can, can recite the Ten Commandments? Well, let me not let you raise your hand. Just kind of nod if you can or you can't. It's okay because I think after these, this series, you should be able to, at least you'll have a foundation of, of, of how righteous these commandments are. Deuteronomy 4, 6. Keep them and do them that you, that will be your wisdom and keep your understanding in the sight of the peoples who when they hear all of these statements, these statues will say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. If you want to be wise and understanding, learn the commandments of God. If you want to teach your children and your grandchildren how to be wise, teach them the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments clearly define what God considers morality. In fact, Jesus uses the second table of the Ten Commandments as a witnessing to in the book of Mark. Paul in Romans 13 and 1 Timothy chapter 1 uses the 10 as a summary of what it looks like to be obedient to God. Now, I thought this was pretty interesting as well. There are are 20,000 laws, think of this, on the books in just regulating gun laws. Just 20,000 of those alone. In 2010, 40,000 new laws were added at different levels throughout the country. The U.S. Code, which is just one accounting of federal laws, has more than 50 volumes. And in 2008, a House committee asked the congressional research team to calculate the number of criminal offenses on a federal level. And they responded five years later, they don't have the manpower or the ability of resources to accommodate. Now, the reason I said that is think about how easy it would be if civilization lived by just the moral code of the Ten Commandments. There'd be no prison system, right? There'd be no murder. There'd be no theft. There'd be no need for a court system. There'd be no need for locked doors, no alarm systems, no dogs straining at the leash. There'd be no corruption. There'd be no divorce. You Could you imagine what our society would look like If people just strived to live by this moral code, Romans 7, 12 says, but still the law itself is holy and its commands are holy, right and good. So I want to be clear going forward. We do not obey the commandments to become righteous. We do not obey the commandments to be righteous. Only the death of Jesus on Calvary's cross, and our faith in what he's accomplished for us makes us right before God. It justifies us just as if we never sinned. No one can fulfill these perfectly, so this is no type of condemnation. It is the schoolmaster that points us to Jesus. However, the commandments are an expression of God's heart. How many of you want to know God's heart? How many of you want to worship God the way that God receives worship? How many of you want to know God's character? How many of you want to know how God requires us to show love to our neighbors? Listen, the law puts into words what smites our conscience. The law puts into words what smites our conscience. In other words, you you know it's wrong to steal. When you go to take something, your conscience is smitten. Why? Because it's the right way to live by not stealing, by not committing theft. Now, that's groundwork. That's the introduction. Let's get into the first commandment. Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. 
That's pretty self-explanatory. It's pretty clear. We need to understand that in this time, the Jewish people were a people of a mono, monotheistic religion. In other words, they believed in one God. Everyone else around them was polytheistic, which means they believed in multitudes of gods. They believed in all kind of gods. So when God is giving the first commandment, he is saying that I am the only God. You see there, I'd hate to break it to people, but there really is no other God. There really isn't. People worship false gods. There's no real God. Paul but no other real God. Paul tells us this. He calls them so-called gods. So God has given this commandment, not that God is thinking, hey, there are other gods that I don't want you to worship. In God's mind, he's saying, I am the only God. But this still applies to us. Because listen to me on this particular point. This foundational truth is where the rest of the nine fall. This this particular commandment is about relationship. It is the relationship that God initiated to us. This law stands outside of our realm and comes to us from God himself. So if society says that there's no right way to live, what happens is they're rejecting the one who says, yes, there is a right way to live. Matthew 4.10 says, he, Jesus quoting to Satan, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So what is the life application behind this? We saw it in the Old Testament. We see Jesus quoting it in the New Testament. This is what God is saying. I brought you out of Egypt. Those plagues, that was me. The miracles, over here. God is saying, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. Remember this tidbit. God is not acknowledging another God beside him. Okay? The Mosaic law clearly defined that belief system. We have that belief system. Let, 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 me, let me explain it to you this way. If you think about it in marriage, you have a husband and a wife, right? No one would be okay with another wife or another husband, right? You wouldn't just say, hey, here's my new wife along with you, wife. No one would do that. But there are things that will vie for your affection in marriage. The sports channel, right? You might want to watch TV and that is vying for your affection. So in our own life, we, not be, we might not be worshiping God and Buddha or God and Muhammad, right? But there are things that will try to take the place of who God is in our life. You know, God and a little works, God and a little money, or a big one is God and a little bit of self, right? How many of us fight with these things pretty much daily? The other nine talks about acts, but this talks about relationships. I want to give you two stories really quickly. And one of them seems very harsh, but I want you to see it from the mind and, and from how God interacts with the word. Okay? Remember there's a guy named Uzzah. How many of you heard of his name before? That brother seems like he gets a bad rep. And if you read the story, you would think that God was mean to him. But I want to give you a circumstance that you could read and you will probably see it as, I can't believe God did that. But when you see it 
from the point of view of, from God's point of view, I think it will make sense. What happened was David has become king. He is wanting to bring the ark to a place of prominence. Now they used to carry the ark on with some poles and the ark was, would, would be sitting between them and they, they get the priest to carry the ark. What happened, what, what happened was, <laughs> is that Uzzah was one of the Kohathite priests. In other words, he had one job and that was to watch over the things in the tabernacle. In other words, he was to watch over the ark and there was a group of people that were supposed to watch the ark and, and carry the ark and, and keep track of the furniture. And what they did was they said, you know what? I'm not carrying this ark. It's, I, there's no reason to. We're going to put it on a cart and we're going to push this cart and that's how we're going to carry it. Now you might be thinking, well, that seems logical. You sure they wasn't caging? <laughs> but here's the deal. They got to what is called the threshing floor and the cart began to wobble. And then Uzzah, out of instinct, tried to stop the ark from falling. The ark hit his hand, and he was struck dead. Now, understand, I know what you're thinking. Well, man, why would God do that? God should have struck them dead by putting it on the cart. But we see grace, that he didn't even do it that way. However, that brother called it, Uzzah was struck dead. Now, do you think, by just reading it that way, that you would think, man, God is mean. God should have given him another chance. God should not have done that. He was doing something nice. It was coming out of the goodness of his heart. That's how we would see it, right? Just like the, the, the atheists that we talked about earlier see things a certain way. But look at this revelation from the word of God. And I believe that when you understand it this way, it will glorify Christ. Amen? I know you're thinking like, how in the world could this glorify Christ? Listen, I, this is what you have to remember as you study the Bible. We have to understand that God is, is, we are not more compassionate. We are not more merciful. And we are not more loving than God, right? Ever. We might think we are, but we're not. Uzzah was a Kohathite. He had grown up knowing how to carry this ark. It was merciful that God even allowed his presence to be amongst sinful people as a representation on this earth. Remember, God is holy. God is separate from us. God chooses to reveal himself to us. People ask all the time, why would God allow people to go to hell? That's not the right question. Why does God choose to save us? That's the, that's how you flip the discussion on its head. Now, we would see this as an act of heroism. Now, this is what happened. Uzzah's act was deemed as presumption and arrogance. And here's why. If that ark would have hit the ground, the ground was more holy than Uzzah. And here is why. Man was the source of rebellion, right? The ground, when God tells it to spring fruit, it springs fruit. God tells the ocean how far to come. He tells the trees how high to grow. He tells the seasons when to change. He calls man to come and, he, and man says no. So here's what we need to understand. We, as the human race through Adam's sin, subjected 
the ground to the fall. So God would have rather that ark hit the ground than sinful man. And I know you're thinking, well, that seems mean. No, it's not. When you understand relationship and you understand this next story that I want to bring to you. Remember the story when God shows up to Moses. Now, remember, Moses was not seeking God. He was just walking on Mount Sinai or in the area next to the bush, and the bush gets set on fire. Now, we see God here is initiating, once again, relationship, right? And then he would give Moses law. Moses has shoes on his feet, and God tells him, take those shoes off, for where you stand is holy ground. Now, remember this. Man cursed the ground by his fall. At this moment, we see God working backwards. And what do I mean by that? Remember, God touched the earth with his fireful, is that a word, Nathan? Why? <laughs> okay, good. With his fireful presence, God comes down in a fire on a tree. Moses is standing there. God says, take your shoes off. With separating my presence from you, take it off. He takes his shoes off. He is standing before a tree that is consumed and now sanctified. And now Moses is interacting with a tree and God's presence is there. And that is what's sanctified. Once again, the ground, remember, 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 the, the, the ark hits the ground. The, 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 I'm sorry, Uzzah did not want the ark to hit the ground. Then you have another story of the ground. I, as I was studying this, I was like, man, that almost doesn't seem fair. But then I saw the prophetic picture here. When Christ died on Calvary's cross, that tree was consumed in the fire of judgment. And man was able to now interact with God. And now you and I are holy. And when we understand that, we don't need an ark anymore because we are the ark. We are walking people of God. And God has kept the Ten Commandments on the inside of our heart. So if we understand the, the meanings and, and if we really study the word and really see what God is trying to say, but if you keep the plumb line of God is not unrighteous, God is not unmerciful, God is not unjustif unjustifiable, God is perfect and holy, and if we look at things through that lens, we will understand God's plan. You know what that did when I read about Uzzah? It made me want to glorify Jesus because now we can interact with God the same way with Christ, but it's a different circumstance because Christ would have taken that judgment if it was today, right? You would have been able to touch the ark. And listen, don't think for one second that if they could dig up the cross that Jesus died on, that it would be any type of holiness or any type of relic that we could worship. I want you to understand that. We live in the South where everything's, you know, sacred and we, we look at things that, you know, we, uh, I mean, I can give you an example. When we went to Israel, they had people that had crosses and they were putting it on the, the, the plate where they say Jesus, his body was laid. And this was in 2000. And I saw a lady that had a cross and she was pouring water on it and she was rubbing it all over her body. Now think about it. That is not holy. That's, that's a thing. That's, we are now holy. We walk with God. Christ lives on the inside of us, right? 
So we see a picture of the severity of God's word as well as his grace. That's what makes Christ such a big deal. It takes nothing away from God. God can, I don't have to defend God. You could just read the Bible and say, well, man, God seemed pretty ruthless. But when you understand that and you see that he gave us Christ, it shows us this great picture of who he is. So what's the life application, you may ask? (laughs) Number one, worship. Listen, keep a high view of God. It will change your perspective of the trials and things that you go through. Remember this, worship is all that we are reacting to all that he is. When we see God as he is meant to be seen, it will draw you like a moth to a flame. When you really begin to think about who God is, I remember reading in Revelation chapter 4, remember John, the apostle, his head, his head laid on a rock, and he was on the island of Patmos as a political prisoner. And God says, John, I want to show you something. And instantly, John is, John is caught up in the spirit, and he sees a worship service that is going on. And when you read, I won't go through the time to read it to you, but I encourage you to read Revelation chapter 4. And the first thing that captures his eye is the throne of God. And then he begins to describe everything from the perspective of the throne. The elders were around the throne in verse 4. Thunder and lightning came from the throne. In verse 5, the sea of glass was below the throne. Verse 6, the elders fall around the throne. That's verse 10. Everything in heaven is measured by the throne. Remember, if John was a political prisoner, he knew that he was under Caesar. But at this moment, he is standing, seeing the throne of God, and God is showing him, Caesar's not in charge, I'm in charge. And I want you to understand that, and I want you to hear that tonight. Our perspective needs to change of who's in charge of our circumstances. Our perspective in life should be focused on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You may have problems that seem right now to tower over your life. I want you to look beyond those problems and see the one who truly towers over every problem and and, and situation that you're going through. If you're dealing with sickness, you need to see the God who towers over all sickness. If you're being run by a tyrant at work, you need to see that God is the one that is over your boss. Amen? That's how we need to view things. God Almighty is in charge, right? So when we go through a situation, the battle is getting our perspective around the situation and seeing God. It's not that the circumstance will change, but your perspective will. God is immovable in your life. Remember, he sees a, a throne and it's immovable. It's fixed. What does that tell us? God cannot be turned against you. Nobody can wave money at God and get him to go a different way. God cannot be impeached. No one could come and succeed God. God is almighty. He's been here since the beginning of time, and he will be here long after there is a such thing as time. Here's the life application. Nothing could change God's plan for your life. God will watch over his plan, and he will carry it out. God cannot be manipulated. He cannot be bought off. The only person that ever tried to attack the throne is now the laughingstock of all time and eternity, and his name is Satan. 
you and I, no matter what you are going through right now, you need to hear me. You will be victorious when the last shot is fired and you stand on the streets of gold and all the dust and despair of this world will pale in comparison. Amen. Amen. You need to hear that. You need to understand that. You need to always keep your perspective in that direction. Number two, keep a high view of your salvation. Listen, I know that things don't always go right, right? I know that there's pain and there's trials and you wake up day day in and day out with the same thing looking you in the eye. I know that. I know what that is like. But I want to read you a verse, some verses of scripture that I think will help you. First Peter 11, verse 13 through 23. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's at the coming of, of, of the rapture of the church. We believe in the rapture, right? Amen. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Did God just call us ignorant? I think he did. Hey, I, I'd rather be ignorant in the world than and be right with God, right? Amen. Praise God. But just as you, just as he who called you holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges, judges each man's work impartially, impartially, live your lives as stranger here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life handed down from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the foundation of the world, the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God, not in a circumstance, not in whose, whose party's ruling and reigning, none of those things, not what's going on in the Middle East. Our hope is firmly fixed in God, who is controlling every situation in life. We just have to get our mind and our perspective on what he wants to do, and our business is getting the gospel out to our neighbors. Amen? Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Look at this. We have honoring God, and we have loving, loving our neighbor. Love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Listen, never take for granted the price that was paid for you and I to go to heaven. Remember in Revelation 5, verse 6, I found it interesting as you just keep reading. This is what John saw. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. That lamb is standing in proxy for us. See, you know what else was around him? All of these elders that couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. All of these elders that had bad thoughts that interacted with people wrongly, 
but it was the lamb that was slain that you and I should have been slain. This is the gospel. Jesus was slaughtered for you and I, unrecognizable even as a human being, the book of Isaiah says. He did that for you. He did that for me. And listen, if that gets old, the problem is with us, not with Christ. Amen? Go back to your first love. Don't let these circumstances try to, try to choke out the faith that you have. Amen? Listen, we mess up daily. We get blindsided daily. But keep your eye, keep your view on God, on your salvation, which is in Christ. And keep walking in this precious life that you and I have. Number three, if you do not know Jesus, turn to him exclusively. In other words, him alone. Timothy says there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. That man is Christ Jesus. Listen, there is no other name under heaven that we can be saved. Your good works will not save you. My good works will not save you. It is Christ alone, right? Your faith in him. Notice how... Throughout the writings, Jesus is holding up commands. He's holding up relationship. He is the only one that allowed us to live this out. We are free to live out the commands. Listen, freedom is not the right to do what we want, but it's the ability to do what we ought to do. Remember, the Old Testament, you were considered a lawbreaker. In the New Testament in Christ, you're considered a law keeper. I'm going to give you four words that you can practice every single day to line your heart up with this first commandment. Number one, devotion. Who are you devoted to? Who receives your highest praise? Who receives your highest adoration? And is it Christ? Number two, trust. Who do you count on above all? What do you count on above all? Is it something that else that occupies that place or is it Christ? Do you trust more in your job? Do you trust more in the idols of your heart? Do you trust more in people or do you trust in God? Number three, communication. Who do you call on when you're in trouble? Who do you call on when you're burdened? How often do you speak and listen to Jesus? Where do you go for answers? Where do you go for comfort? Is it Christ? And the last one, thankfulness. Can we stand? Where does your thankfulness go? Where do you, do you thank God for the life that he's given you? Do you thank God for the children he's given you? Do you thank God for the family he's given you? Do you thank God for your ability to hear out of both ears? Do you thank God for the ability to see? Do you thank God for the ability to walk uprightly? These are all things that, that we should never even take for granted. You ever heard the song, count your many blessings, name them one by one? That sometimes seems like a, a little trite saying, but it is so true when you get in a position when you really don't know what's good in life anymore. You know how I know that? Questions like this will help you reveal where you are because God has always been where he is. Amen. And you may, you may be here and you say, you know what? I don't know anything 
about God. I don't know anything about, about Jesus, about salvation, the Ten Commandments. I heard of that. I want to just invite you. You don't even have to raise your hand. I'm not even going to ask you to do any of those things. If you would say that I do not know Jesus as Lord, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. And I want to ask the Lord to invade your heart, invade your space, and give give you the opportunity to experience him as he truly is. Amen? Father, I just come in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would meet every person here, Lord. God, I'm asking that you would reveal yourself in truth and in power to each person, Lord, that you would lift them up out of the pit of despair. And God, you would give them yourself tonight. Lord, I'm asking that you would speak to them, that you would show them great and mighty things. Lord, as they lay themselves before you, we, we, we just repent. Let's take some time to repent. Lord, I, I, I repent of any thoughts that I have that are contrary, for any sin that I've committed in, in thought, word, or deed. I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I receive the gift of pardon, the gift of peace that surpasses all understanding to guard my heart in my mind now that I am in Christ Jesus. And God, I'm just asking right now that you would help us as your children to always keep you in the right place, which is number one in our lives. That we would honor you as you desire to be honored. Father, our desire is to honor you and to lift you high above all circumstances and other so-called gods in our life. Father, we thank you for this time tonight. And I ask that you would bless each person as they go their separate ways. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask. And the church said, amen, amen. Praise God. I want to encourage you to join us next week and we'll talk about the second commandment. God bless you.